the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The master told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people in this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Amen. And I'd like to invite uh, Keld up. Here we go. Um, Thank you. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. If that's okay? Absolutely. Uh, let's just pray for Keld. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing Keld here to speak to us. And we thank you that you have been in his preparations for today. And we just ask you to anoint him anew, powerfully, with your Holy Spirit as he brings our word to us. And do open our hearts to hear you this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, my name is Kel. I'm married to Sarah. Uh, Sarah is in the Vicarage now, but will come for the later service. Uh, our daughter Anna is here uh, with her cousin as well. And we have been here for a few days because as part of uh, leading the Order of Mission, we have gathered our global team of leaders uh, in Cambridge uh, Thursday to Saturday. Um, and that's actually um, my last gathering in person with the leaders because April 1st, I'm, not, uh, I'm stepping down as the chairman of the Order of Mission. I've been there for more than eight years. Um, and that is due to a, a transition we are in now as a family. 
Uh, I have been uh, the vicar in a church in Aarhus for 21 years, but I resigned because I got a new job as the national director of Oasis Movement in Denmark. It's, I think, very equivalent to new wine, if you're familiar with that over here. So I'm going to lead that in Denmark and that works. So, so we stay in Aarhus, we stay in the same house in Aarhus, but there's lots of transition in our family uh, happening right now. So it's a time of where we really walk down memory lane, also being here. We've had several gatherings. This has been a, actually a hop in many ways for the Order of Mission in the UK over the last eight years. So, um, so it's, it's a very significant time. Uh, as you know, I'm uh, from Denmark, and um, I have to apologize uh, on behalf of all the Vikings that when they left England, they took the heating with them. So um, <laughs> uh, I do apologize for that. Um, and and gave me the topic uh, is money your master, and uh, and the text for today about the dishonest manager or the shrewd manager, depending on which Bible version you use, as a role model is a difficult one. And uh, in in my uh, in in the church in Denmark, the Lutheran church in Denmark, uh, we have. Um, uh, you know, the liturgical year, there's certain readings for given Sundays, and every second year we have this text for a specific Sunday, and pastors between them call it the day off or the guest speaking Sunday. <laughs> so, because they don't want to share a story about how, how Jesus is um, praising a dishonest person. So, um, so Anne did the same here by asking me to speak on that one. Before we lean into that whole topic about is money your master, uh, I'll ask you the question, who is who is God? What is your, your image of God? As far as we know from studies in psychology of religion and human nature, uh, throughout history, uh, human beings, if we are left with ourselves, we will make... Uh, we will think and reflect about who God is. And we will often end up, if we are left with ourselves in our brokenness, with an image of God as a negotiator. Uh, if God is a negotiator, faith means that I have to sacrifice something to, help, to, to make God cover my needs. It's like a transactional relationship. God the negotiator. In the Nordic countries, Scandinavian countries, we, we, before we became a Christian nation, we, 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 we believed in the Nordic gods. Uh, you know them maybe from the HBO series Vikings, you know, Thor and all the Nordic gods. And equivalent to that, in the Roman Empire, there were lots of different gods that people were celebrating. And in many ways, all those gods are human ideas about God based on God as a, as a negotiator. So wherever you traveled in the days of Paul and Jesus in the Roman Empire, if you had to cross a difficult river or take a boat or, or, or walk through mountains, there would be altars and temples where you could sacrifice to the gods before you did the difficult journey and hope that they will like repay you with their blessing. God the negotiator. And I think as, humans, as, as human beings after the fall, that we have that latent with us, that image of God. If we are left with ourselves, without the Bible, without revelation about who God really is, we will make the conclusion that God is a negotiator. 
Uh, I spoke with a colleague recently, a pastor colleague in Denmark, and he told me that he was visiting an old lady from his, um, from his church. She was uh, terminally ill, and she was, so she was dying. And she, she said to him in the conversation when he came to visit her, uh, I'm not afraid to die because I have lived a decent life. And the pastor, my friend, said to her, you don't have to be afraid to die. But that is not because you have lived a decent life. That is because the life Jesus lived. The way he lived, died, and were raised. In other words, she had with her that negotiating image of God. She had done her duties in life. You know, She has kept calm and carried on. And now she expected God to reward her. But that's not the gospel. I also think we see God as a negotiator in a way, in a non-believing or, or, or secular way in our society. So uh, even people who are atheists who don't believe in God, say, I don't believe in God, will often psychologically have a negotiating um, model uh, with them, a kind of non-believing faith, you can say. So they might say, I keep fit, I, I, I eat healthy diets, and when I expect life to reward me with good health, and when you suddenly become ill anyhow with cancer, you don't know how to handle it because it reveals that you had that kind of negotiating with life kind of image of God and destiny. There are two reasons that we cannot, we cannot deal with that God as a negotiator. First, God don't need anything that you can offer. You don't have anything to offer God that he needs. He's the creator of everything. I don't have anything to offer God that he needs. That is a very, very bad, bad starting point for any negotiation. You know that if you are married or if you have bought a house and you went to the bank, you know, and you had nothing to offer, you would probably not get a loan for a house. It's a very bad negotiation. And on the other hand, on the other hand, that's the second thing. God actually demands something of us that we cannot give. Because he's, he says, through Jesus, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and neighbor as yourself. The commandment of love. And to help us do that, we get the help of the Ten Commandments. Do not Steal. Do not lie. Do not desire something that was given and blessed to your neighbor, and so on. I mean, in New Testament, it even becomes more and more difficult. Jesus says, if you have a fantasy about another person's spouse, you have already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as you him." Your heavenly Father is, is perfect. Yeah. So, so we don't have anything that we can actually offer God in negotiation, and God demands something of us that we cannot give. And it's no surprise that the God of the Bible is not a negotiator. He's a redeemer. The introduction to the Ten Commandments says... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
And after that comes the commandments, do not have other gods. Yeah? But it's based in an atmosphere, God is a redeemer. God is the one who brought them out of slavery. God the redeemer, God the savior. God who knows that we don't have anything to offer him that he needs, and the God who knows that what he demands of us we really cannot give because of our brokenness, so he has to give himself and redeem. God is a redeemer. And I think that is so important to have as the starting point for the words we just heard Helen read. If we don't get that starting point, we will probably misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Deuteronomy 10.13 says, Observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own sake. Jesus is telling parables about the true God, God the Redeemer, the God, God the Merciful, but he also tells parables about God as an investor. And that is often overlooked, the investment parables. But we have one of them today. We all know the famous parables often uh, about God as the merciful and the forgiver and the redeemer. The good Samaritan, the father with the two lost sons and so on. We know those parables and we love them. But other parables point, point to God as an investor. God invests his kingdom in us and he actually expects something out of his investment, but not to come back, to, not to bring back to him, but to bring back to others, to the blessing of the world. So God is an investor, but in a different way than investment in a broken world, because he invests to things to multiply for the blessing of more. And that is, that is the key, I think, to understand the parable of the dishonest manager. What is investment? Investment is to take existing capital and gain more capital. That's the principle of investment. What is investment in the kingdom of God? Investment in the kingdom of God is to take something of lesser value and investing it in something of higher value. That, I'll, I'll repeat that. Investment in the kingdom of God is to take something of a lesser value and investing it in something of a higher value. And that is exactly what the dishonest manager does. He takes money that is in kingdom of God is of the lowest value of everything in life, and he invested into relationships. And that is exactly why Jesus is saying that's why he's a role model for a disciple. Not because he's cheating, that's not the point, but because he's a good investor. He takes things of lower value and invested in things of higher value, money into relationships. So Jesus says he's a smart investor. He lets his money become a servant of something else of higher value. And even, Jesus is even saying that actually non-believers, non-disciples of me are better in doing that than many disciples. That's quite challenging, isn't it? He said, learn from the world the principle of investment. Take things of lower value and invest it in things of higher value. I think that's the key point in this parable. Is money your master or your servant? Jesus is very clear in this parable at the end. Money will either be our master 
or servant. We cannot have two masters. So if money has become our master, ultimately Jesus cannot be our master. Jesus actually speaks quite a lot on finance and money. Around 10 times more in the Gospels, he speaks about money and the power of money and the dynamic of money in this world, 10 times more than he speaks about sexuality. And I think it's because the nature of greed is very subtle. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, what's out? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Why does Jesus talk about be on guard with greed? Jesus speaks against adultery, but he does not say be on guard with adultery. And I think it's because some sinful, na- sinful behavior is more known and obvious for ourselves. I mean, anyone who commits adultery will at least know he or she commits adultery. But I think greed is different. I think, when I think back of 21 years as a pastor, I've heard people confessing confession in counseling all kind of sinfulness in their lives. But I cannot really remember someone confessing the sin of greed. And maybe it's because the nature of greed is that we always, even if we suffer under the rivals of greed in our souls, we can always know people out in the media who are definitely much more greedy in, in their lifestyle. I don't know what it is. It's subtle, it's not so visible maybe, and we are not so aware. So Jesus is warning us, saying, be on guard against all kinds of greed. There was a survey made in Denmark about people's um, vis- uh, wishes for the salary, whatever job they had. And the survey showed that among all kinds of people with very different salaries, low-income jobs, high-income jobs, everyone, everyone said more or less the same in the survey. If my salary increased with 15%, I would be more happy. And that, that was the answer for persons with a very high salary and a very low. Isn't that a fascinating dynamic? Everyone thinks that if I got a little more, I'll be more happy. That was what the research of the survey showed. And I think... Jesus is helping us today. He's saying the only way you can really keep money as a servant in your life, not your master in your heart, is by investing the money in something of much more value than money. Ultimately, the kingdom of God. A way to think about this is to think about the capitals we have in life and not just money. A very known model is to talk about five capitals. Spiritual capital, that's the highest value in the kingdom of God. Relational capital, my neighbor, my friends, my sisters and brothers in Christ. Physical capital, my health, my body. Fourth, intellectual capital, the capacity to read and know and have education, and and finally, at the lowest level, I think, in the kingdom of God, financial capital. That should be the servant of all the other. I don't know how it is in Cambridge. These five capitals, spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, financial, 
how are they ordered in the culture you find yourself in? What, it, what, will, what, what will the culture here celebrate as the highest capital? Definitely somewhere in Western culture, it can be finance. I think in the city I live in, the tendency would be that people celebrate intellectual capital as the highest. It could be maybe the same here. But just speak with a neighbor now. What do you think the culture of Krampus, what will people unconsciously celebrate or, or, or endorse as the highest capital of those five? Spiritual, relational, physical, intellectual, financial. I, uh, I think that if we, if we look into the kingdom of God, it's obvious by everything Jesus is saying that spiritual capital is the highest capital, the highest value in the kingdom of God. By, by saying that, I mean the relationship with Jesus is the highest value in the kingdom of God. That is beyond everything else, and Jesus is very clear on that, that either we have the Son, as Gospel of John says it, and through him we have everything, or we ultimately will lose everything. Relational capital, I would say, in the kingdom of God is definitely the next. Loving my neighbor, relationships. Physical, intellectual, that can go both ways, I think, depending on where we are in life and all that. But definitely, Jesus is very clear. He wants us, again, again to keep money as the lowest capital in our life, the lowest value as servant of the other capitals. As servant of the other capitals. How do we do that? Three, and I will end with these three principles that I've used again and again. First is about priority. Prioritize according to God's calling on your life. Prioritize also your finance, the lowest capital, according to God's calling on your life. Don't, don't mis, mishear me now. I'm not saying take all your money and give it to the church. Neither is Jesus saying that. The kingdom of God is much more than church, but Jesus is, is calling us to prioritize all, everything in our life around his calling for our, for our life. So when you go into your bank account, can you see that you spent your financial capital as a servant of your calling? That's a good question to ask. Can, 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 in the way I use money, do I prioritize according to God's calling on my life? First, that's the first one. Secondly, knowing what your calling is, pursuing God's calling on your life, invest the capital you have, money, time, energy in it. Invest, invest, invest. Some of us will say, yeah, I, don't, I only have a little financial capital. And for Jesus, that's no problem because that's the lowest value anyhow. But I have a high relational capital or, or time to actually spend with people. Invest the capital you might have given, whatever it is. I love the story in, in Luke 9, isn't it, where Jesus is 
with the crowds. He actually withdrew his disciples to have an abiding time, a retreat time, but the crowds keep following them and they want food. And the disciple says to Jesus, Jesus, there's no way we can feed 5,000 people. There's no way we can do that. The gap between the need and the resources are just too high. So they actually say to Jesus, Jesus, ask them to go away. It's like, it's like me praying, oh God, let all the needs and the brokenness of my city and the world I'm in and my context disappear. And Jesus does totally opposite with his disciples. He says, actually, what do you have? Which capitals do you have? And they say, yeah, we have five bread and two fish. I think it is, isn't it? And Jesus said, okay, bring it to me. Bring the capital you have. Invest it. And I will do something that only I can do. The third thing, be accountable to another disciple of Jesus about your capitals, not least the financial one. If you, have, if you feel that you are tempted and challenged, that money has become a master in your life, and that can happen for people with lots of money and for people with very little money. It's not really that, that make, well, that's not the thing that makes a difference. But is money, has money become your master that occupies your world, not as a servant, has become a master. And the best way is to be accountable to another disciple of Jesus. Have another one asking you the question about how you spend your money and how you prioritize and how you invest. So be accountable, that's a third principle. So prioritize according to your calling, invest the capitals you have, little or, 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 or much, and be accountable to another disciple of Jesus. Let's stand and, and pray, should we? <laughs> Jesus, we thank you that you, on, on, on that day with your disciples, dared to share this story. You, you dared to say to the disciples, I will tell you a story about a dishonest, smart guy, and you can learn from him. And Jesus, we want to hear what you're saying to us. We want to take deep to heart that money is a servant in this world, not a master. We declare that over our lives and our hearts and our souls. Money is a servant. A servant of, for things that are of much more value. Time, relationships, spiritual capital, your kingdom. So Jesus, we ask for the courage to take whatever we have of capitals in our lives, whatever we have been giving of resources and investing it in your kingdom and everything that flows from that of value. Invested it, investing it in things that makes a positive difference for my neighbor, for my neighborhood, for my colleagues, for this city, for this community. Jesus, you are very, you're very, very clear when you speak to us and tell us you cannot serve two masters. Jesus, we want you to be the master that we serve our own. And we pray that every other captain in our life will just be invested 
based on that relationship. Yes, Lord. And as we, we pray now, Lord, I will also pray for financial blessing for anyone here who might be struggling financially, that they will just take to heart your word that anyone who seeks your kingdom first will be given whatever we need following that. It's the same principle. Your kingdom first. And we pray for hearts of generosity with the capitals we have. Yes, Lord. Jesus, you are our master. And money is just a servant. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much indeed.